Welcome to Where I Met, where I interview my teachers, who they are, what they've taught me, and how they have changed me and led me to the path that I am on, specifically in health, wellness, and mindfulness. My hope is that when you listen to this podcast, you'll get tidbits on a healthier and more mindful lifestyle. And that's exactly why I have my guest speaker here today. My sister, Denise Rowland, is on the podcast Yay, today. Hi. <laughs> hi. So Denise is a, a mom first, a teacher, uh, and my sister, and now an author of her first book, Please Look Up at Me. So Please Look Up at Me talks about a critical and important topic of screen time in children today. And uh, Denise, I'm super excited that you're here to talk about this book with us. Um, I want to start, though, by asking you to tell us um, how long you've been a teacher and what kind of teacher you are. Okay. Well, hello, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. I feel honored to be on your podcast, finally, and uh, <laughs> talking about something that I'm passionate about. So I've been a teacher for about um, 20 years, but a little more than 15 of them have been in the public school setting. And um, the subject areas that I teach are uh, early childhood education, family and consumer sciences, health education, and I also have um, a second master's in school counseling. Hmm. That's awesome. And tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind this book, both as a teacher and a mom. Okay, so I think that we can all uh, resonate with the fact that uh, living in this digital tech world and, and the screens, it, it's become a, a massive issue, right? Every place we look, you know, in our news feeds, on the television, in the newspapers, in magazines, we see recent articles on how screens are affecting us. Um, so I don't, I don't think the issue is um, mine per se. It's very widely known and it's very public. But however, um, the issue became one of a early childhood nature for me because of my children. Um, I feel like the focus right now in the general public tends to be in the, the tween age and teenage years and deciding about what kind of age is appropriate to expose children and, and to give them smartphones. But for me, um, the issue came about when my four-year-old daughter, who's now five, uh, stopped me one day and said, mom, I'm talking to you, put your phone down. Mm. And it, it got me thinking about um, on the early childhood level from the time that they're born, what message we might be sending to kids uh, in this digital era when they're looking at us distracted all the time and, and whether or not that attention really belongs to them. Mm. And what about in the classroom? Do you see this with your students? Absolutely. Well, I teach on um, a middle school level primarily, uh, despite the other certifications. Most of my time is spent in, with seventh and eighth graders. And um, it's during these years where, you know, there's a lot of changes going on for the kids as is. There's uh, hormonal differences, mm -hmm. just kind of finding their own independence. But then you throw the tech world into them and, and it's a lot for them to balance. They have um, phones on them at all times and yet you know it's it's very difficult for them to put them away during class time it's a struggle uh for teachers i think all over the nation to uh decide how to combat that issue right because if your school doesn't have a policy that makes it very clear 
Um, how do we, you know, tell kids to put their devices away? Are parents going to back it up? Um, do parents feel like they need to have constant contact? So in my school at this level, I see kids that are constantly distracted because mm. there is something in their pocket that is always going off. <laughs> and it's got, got addictive elements too. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. just like it does for us. So we're yeah. expecting them to manage something that we have a difficult time managing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so interesting. I've read a lot of articles and I think that there's this instant gratification component to it that like, that's the addictiveness to it where it's that instant, like you send something out, you get a response instantly. You want something, you need something, you can research it and search it and purchase it instantly. So I really think it's that instant gratification that creates the addiction. Yeah, plus the constant stimulation that's coming at your brain. I mean, I don't know anything about neurophysiology or, or how your brain works or the stimulation or the sensory, but I just wonder how much of it is just like a, a kind of like a drug for your brain. Yeah. A lot of sensory coming at you. Yeah. So one of the things that you and I have been talking a little bit about with this book is the still face paradigm. Right. And I, I was a psychology undergrad and, um, you know, I did a little bit of research on this and it's, it, it almost, it almost seems like, wow, can this actually really be true? Um, but then we were talking this morning and I want you to share kind of the interesting little fact that you learned this morning about the professor that um, researched this still face paradigm, but explain what it is first. Like what is the still face paradigm? Well, so the still face paradigm is, is not new in itself. It's, it's pretty well documented and it's been around for some time actually. Uh, back in 2005, I, I used it in my child development unit, teaching kids, well, teaching middle school kids about the importance of engaging with babies and making eye contact with babies. And what the still face paradigm, it, it sounds just like what it is, but what the still face paradigm um, found or what it tested was the difference between a caregiver looking at a baby, uh, responding in a positive manner, making faces, making facial expression, catching the baby's gaze. And then, you, you know, the camera is kind of on the baby and you see the baby light up literally and, and engage back and coo and on, reach to the caregiver and just um, have a very positive response to attention, love, nurturing kinds of behavior. And then on the flip side of the experiment, um, they test the paradigm once again, where the, the caregiver is sitting, looking at the baby with a still face. Mm. Uh, no response, just kind of like a blank face. And with the camera on the child, and you can kind of YouTube this, you can find um, examples of this experiment, but you can see the child becomes visibly agitated and distraught, um, anxious, looking for the caregiver, not sure of what to do, looking up, um, kind of just like, just visibly uncomfortable. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure of the exact year when that paradigm was done. I want to say it was like 2003, but it was, it seems to have been redone. And I don't know if it was by Dr. Tronic himself. Uh, I want to say there was another scientist that kind of adapted it now in 2017 to include the still face with device mm. and compare those findings to the original still face and see if the device 
had the still face with the device had the same, the same effect on the child as the original still face experiment did. And it turns out that it does. So what we know and what this means is that babies from birth respond positively to engagement and nurturing and eye contact, and they respond negatively to distraction. Even yeah. if the still face is not directed at them, even if it's directed at a device, it is the lack of response and eye contact and attention mm-hmm. creates distress. Yeah. Which is like so incredibly sad to think about that, you know, a, a little baby, a little child, which, you know, just wants love and that human connection can actually visibly get like agitated and confused and anxious and sad when like they don't feel that there's that human connection and someone that's just giving them like a smiley, warm, like look or, t- or talking to them in a, a warm uh, connective way. Uh, it's, it like breaks my heart to think of that. And, and I, 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 like I said, when I started this, it's almost um, like, Oh my gosh, no, this can't be true that because you know, children in their early childhood years are spending time on their, their tablets or on, on uh, looking at screens that they're also uh, potentially developing this within themselves, right? Like this idea of not necessarily having expressions or understanding expressions and, and not getting enough of that expression and connection from the caregiver so that they can also understand it, right? I almost feel like it's 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 pretty fundamental, right? So if you think of it in terms of nature versus nurture, we know for sure, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the studies indicating that from birth, a child can turn their head to the sound of their parent. Like they know right away, they recognize. We know that innately, they come and they're born into this world with the ability to love, be loved, be nurtured, and we're either going to grow that mm-hmm. um, to its maximum capacity, or we're not. So, if you if you think of it on a very basic level, these little human beings, we're teaching them everything about the environment around them. So they're born here, and then how do we handle that? Are we responsive, or are we distracted? And if we're distracted and not engaging them as much of course, it's going to have a ripple effect yeah. on their own social, emotional development, their communication, but, but more than anything, their sense of self-worth. So with that said, there are also reports indicating that young children have confusion about their worth in comparison to devices. Ugh. Reports that have been published and documented that indicate that some young children believe that their parents are love their uh, smartphone as much as they love them. And <sighs> it sounds outlandish for us. However, we're humans that have been born into an era that didn't necessarily have tech devices. So, and, and I don't know that we can identify, like it, we knew a world without these devices. Yeah. So, seems crazy to us. However, they're born into a different era. And what are our actions telling them? Like, I can, um, and I feel like such a hypocrite. Let's just, you know, be clear. Because when my children were born, I was working from home as a beach body coach. And, you know, my back was to my children all the time, mm-hmm. facing the 
computer facing the phone, re, you know, responding to clients almost constantly. And I never thought anything of it because my, my children were generally pretty complacent, um, especially in their early, you know, two years, they would just sit there and play with blocks and I wouldn't think anything of it. They seemed content. And then, um, I think I realized later on, you know, uh, Adelina, my, my second child, was a little bit more outspoken and a little bit more um, stronger with communication skills, mm. um, frustrated. And I'd be like, what the heck? You know, what's going on? And meanwhile, my back is dark oh. for the past 45 minutes. But, you know, of course, without engagement, they're lonesome. They're looking for attention. They're looking for um, nurturing. So mm -hmm. I'm certainly not one to judge or come across as, you know, having done it all right. That's not the case at all. But through my own mistakes, there's been some clarity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so interesting. So talk a little bit about if you're a parent, right? What, what are the critical ages? Um, you know, when you talk about early childhood development specifically, what, what are, what's that age range, would you say? I think from birth. I mean, I'm looking at this children's book that I wrote. Um, you know, it reads as appropriate for like kindergarten and up. However, I almost feel that um, these conversations should be had with expectant parents in, in maternity wards and just preparing them like, look, you know, maybe we need to put off exposure to these kids seeing us on our devices for as long as possible. I mean, the digital era is not gonna go away and they serve a purpose um, and we need them. However, do our kids need to be exposed to them or to us using them? Should they have any idea that we're distracted by them or should we try to keep it none of their business for as long as possible? Mm, right, it's almost kind of like they shouldn't even know that the device is there, right? You know, and-, and well, Why should they really? Yeah. 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 How did, how did they, how did they come, how did children or how did they learn that children actually thought that parents loved their devices just as much as they loved their children? Was this like an actual like question that they were asked? Yeah, there was an actual study done. <laughs> I referenced in an article that I just wrote um, that I'm hoping will be in conjunction with Mothfly Media, but um, in doing some of the research, I, I came across a report that indicated that <laughs> young children actually contemplated, like, I don't know. Do oh, wow. And, and that's powerful. Yeah, that is incredibly powerful. I mean, I, I can't, I, I just, that's, that's so interesting to me. So one of the things that I, I, I did want to make sure that we talked about, because again, you kind of started to allude to it, but I want to kind of go back to it, is that like, you you are you're not suggesting that these screens completely go away and you're very aware of the fact that like technology the age of technology is like here and the iphone or the tablet or whatever it is is like definitely instrumental to our future so you're not saying like we need to like revert back and throw them all out the window but what you are suggesting is like how can we set boundaries, boundaries around this technology. And, and so um, what would you say if, if you were in a paternity ward to expected parents? Like what would you say with regards to how they can start to set those boundaries? Well, I would start off by saying that I'm no expert. 
but that, you know, we know it's well documented that Steve Jobs and Bill Gates um, did not allow their children uh, much tech time and, and they weren't even allowed, I think it was Steve Jobs who didn't even allow his children to have the iPad that he invented. Um, so I'm just kind of, you know, let's take a look at that. Why? And, and what are we seeing happen all over the news? We know that, you know, there's increased rates of suicide, depression, anxiety, sleep deprivation. And then, you know, those are just the mental emotional issues that we talk about social development um, and in physical development, even in babies heading off to nursery school and pre-K, we're seeing a delay in the tripod grip or um, videos of young babies getting frustrated with magazines because they can't use their thumb and their pointer finger to maximize the picture. And they're, they're wondering why magazines don't quote unquote work. Um, so, oh my God. <laughs> did that really, did you really read this? Is this oh yeah, really yeah. You can, you can find it yourself. So if, if you look at the behavior of children, um, I think at the very basic level, all I would say to parents is step one, you want your children to feel attended to and loved all, at all times. So if there is anything that is going to interfere with their ability or their sense of that, it needs to be you know, delayed or put on the back burner. Eventually, they're going to come to an age that might be appropriate for them to start using these devices or in school, um, learning from them. I mean, they, they absolutely serve a purpose. Yeah. However, they really need a solid foundation of self-worth, uh, confidence, nurturing, security, be mm. well before we can even yeah. uh, get to that point. It's, it's almost like, I don't wanna simplify it, but, but would you try to convince a 12 or 13 year old to start eating broccoli, even though they've seen you eat macaroni and cheese mm -hmm. every single day from birth to 12. Like, yeah. no, we need to model the right behavior. So to backtrack to what you asked, um, I think that if I was talking to expected parents, I would ask them within their household and with their partners to discuss um, things that they can agree to do so maybe phones will not be seen uh, at the dinner table or in the family room uh, maybe there will be no computers in any bedrooms and and there will there will only be a home office like wh what are things that parents can do to prepare ahead of time to set those boundaries and during playtime with your child do we need to consider making like a do not disturb message? Like it's tummy time, I'll get back to you later. Just like we would when we're driving and we give a, a distracted driving um, auto text. A do not disturb or, um, you know, out of office, right? When you're out of office and you're on vacation, you right. put an out of office thing on, hopefully you do. I mean, there. I think that there are some people who, get anxiety around setting that out of office. But I mean, I certainly do when I take a vacation. I mean, listen, I I got a puppy two weeks ago and I have learned that with the puppy, it, unless I am paying attention, like he's totally different than a child and I recognize that, but believe it or not, like he he can tell. He starts to like tug at my, my socks or my shoe or, um, like he really, when you are playing with him, you need to watch him. And, and just in general, like, I also think there that there's that component of like, if I'm not watching him, 
the trouble that he eventually gets into is probably not trouble that I I want to clean up. So I've just kind of learned and I created an actually uh, a do not disturb little message that says like, sorry, I'm, I'm with loved ones right now. And I've been using it probably a lot more than I did prior to getting this dog, but it's been really good for me. Um, it's been very grounding. And that's actually something I wanted to go back to, you know, as a psych undergrad, I heard you talk a little bit about, you know, what children and early childhood development um, and what those critical phases are. And it reminded me of um, Mas Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the hierarchy of needs starts specifically, right? Like the baseline is this idea of, um, you know, feeling needed and feeling that they have a purpose on this earth and feeling loved and that human connection. And that's like, first and foremost, it's the number one thing that um, is on his hierarchy. So it just, it brought me back to that, that idea of like human connection. Well, from that launches everything else, right? And, and you, we have to look down the pipeline and say, hey, if the foundation with caregiver and child was really solid and there was a strong sense of security and connectedness there, then ultimately it's only going to spill over to serve the, the relationships that child grows to develop. Because if there's a sense of trust Mm -hmm. and, and love and um, connectedness right away, then that child is learning how to um, create relationships with other people. And maybe that child is less inclined for cyberbullying later on, or maybe that child is more likely to have a face-to-face -face conversation at a cafeteria table rather than have their face in a cell phone. So this is really the launching pad. What we teach them, they come here blank canvas. What we teach them uh, becomes ultimately the launching pad from which they they grow. And that's not to say that hardwiring cannot be rewritten. I mean, we all know that therapy and changing patterns it is possible. However, it's far more difficult. Of course, of course it is. So getting back to your book, right? Like, so this book is available on Amazon. Right. Right. Please look up at me. And then it's also in um, some local retailers it's, near right you. Right now it's in local retailers on the east end of Long Island and in the Hamptons area, um, but it, it's expected to grow from here. So mm -hmm. I'm hopeful. Right now it's on Amazon. That's the most accessible way. Um, but really I'm just hoping that people pick it up and use it as a conversation starter in their families. Yeah. Awesome. That's so great. And so like, what's next for you? What are you looking to do with this with this book and, and this kind of, it's a movement really that you, um, you're really kind of looking to do, right? So talk a little bit about that. Uh, I think my biggest hope is to just get out there and start uh, supporting people, trying to brainstorm ways that they can set boundaries for themselves and, and in their home. I think that this is a two-way street here as far as, um, you know, the, uh, the potential joy and relief and almost like a, a, a release of anxiety that we could feel. Like if we talk about, you know, coming through the door each day, and at that point we have every right to just be home mm. you know, and, and just close it off. I mean, the work day is done. Do we have to be constantly accessible? How necessary is that? And will it provide us the same relief um, that it will for our children. So I think just opening up conversations um, 
about how to support families because every family is different and every family has a unique set of circumstances. I might have a conversation um, with one family that says, I need that iPad time because I have to get in the door and I have to drop my things and I have to cook dinner. So you know what, Denise? My kids are going to be looking at those and you know that that might be someone's truth. So how do we um, talk about okay, fine. So let's do that. And then can we make an agreement where at the dinner table, when your dinner is finally made and everyone is sitting, or can we put the devices away? Or can we make sure that at the end of the night, when you're laying next to your spouse, that device is, is not seen, it's put away because what's good for us is also what's good for our kids. Right. Right. So it's lead by example, right? Absolutely. Okay, cool. So who are your teachers? Talk to me a little bit about who your teachers are and why are they your teachers? Um, my biggest teachers, I think, um, as of late are my own children. I mean, I've only been a mother for six years, but the insights that they have brought, I mean, it's like looking at a little version of yourself. And they're, <laughs> they're there to point out and remind you of all the things mm -hmm. that you are doing wrong at times so uh and and they're right and they're innocent and they're full of wonder so i i get so much out of my children and also from my own students i mean when i shared with them uh this children's book even though it's not appropriate for their developmental level necessarily um they listened to it and and the feedback that i got from them like some of my students seventh and eighth grade one of them in particular was like uh, listen, when, when friends come to my house, I have a bucket and I tell them, put your phones in your bucket. If you want to have a sleepover at my house, awesome. I your attention. So I, I learn the insight and my students are so insightful. They're brilliant and mm -hmm. we can listen to them. And even my four or five and six year old, if I really listen to them, they'll tell you exactly what they need. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I know one of the things that we are constantly talking about in the studios that I teach at are whether or not devices should be allowed specifically like in the studio, right? Like the lobby, um, you know, where you put your shoes, where you put your coat, like that's different, you know, and it is a little bit of a fine line because you want somebody who is like a new mom, right? Like that is desperate to just be like, listen, I need to get out of the house and I want to step on my mat, but I have you know, a two or three month old at home, or what if, what if there's an emergency? And so, you know, I think that there are certain circumstances, but for the most part, our ask is that, yeah, when you step on your mat, when you step into a studio, just like what you were saying about one of your students, the ask is like, leave the phone down for an hour and see if you can take as much of the hour or hour and 15 minute class specifically just to your, for yourself. And, you know, I personally find it amazing that when I have days when I can just put my phone down and like put it on do not disturb for half the day, the whole day, I feel like I wake up the next morning with like a completely fresh new brain that is so much more creative and um, just working better that I, I can only imagine what it feels like for me. I know what it feels like for me. I can only imagine what it feels like for like a little person, right? Like someone who is just like, those emotions are so much bigger. Those feelings are so much bigger um, than, than their size. So I can totally appreciate this idea of, you know, really allowing your brain to completely restore and, and be refreshed by just letting it be for a bit. 
Yeah, and I, I think that we have to remember that it's all relevant, right? So if I have a little child and I have this like really important work email in front of me and it is stressing me out, but I have a, a young person sitting next to me like, look, look, this, this sticker is smelly. Scratch it, scratch it. <laughs> this sticker is smelly. I might be inclined to be like, leave me alone. Like I got to get this done. Yeah. But it's all relative because uh, to me, that smelly sticker might might not be so important, but for that child, mm-hmm. it has the ability to be a moment that they latch onto and remember. So um, we we really have to remember the sense of wonder that they come here with, and we have to protect that and and nurture that and keep them innocent and loved and um, you know having the ability to trust people because. Um, it, and nothing else really matters and you can't get that time back, but you can right. visit that email. Yeah. And as far as the, the potential hypothetical guests that you mentioned in your studio, you know, what's to keep that guest from putting on a do not disturb message on her phone that says, I'm taking class for self care right now. This is where it is. If, an, if something, uh, if there's an urgent need to reach me, please call the studio. And allow that, that mother or that person to just, you know, unplug for a bit, go take the class and know that there's a manager who will get a call standing right outside. um, If there was ever really a problem. Right. And the other thing that I recently learned that I didn't even actually know was the case. If you do put your phone on um, do not disturb specifically while you're driving, A, you can customize the message, and B, if you actually text urgent, the the text or the call will actually go through. It breaks. Yeah, I just recently, um, I didn't know that that was the case, but that absolutely is the case, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, and you can customize whatever, which is part of, I think, the initiative that I want to share. I mean, there's things that we can do to make ourselves... um, you know, we can put our minds at ease and know that anyone trying to reach us is going to get a response. But in the same respect, we can uphold those boundaries for family time. I really believe that we all have an understanding that when a family is together, we can respect that that, that time is necessary. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, again, something I ask all of my my guests, what's your favorite quote and why? Um, geez, I have, I'm like one of those people that has quotes all over my house. You can like read my walls. <laughs> There's quotes everywhere. Um, but I think the most profound quote to me is probably whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. By, I love uh, it. by Ford. By Ford, right? Yeah. I, I like that one too. I like that one. Well, oh, and I don't want to forget. So you'll also be, um, You'll be joining us at Yoga Reaches Out this year. Yes, right? I will. Yep. Yeah. Yoga Reaches Out. I have a book signing coming up at Stevenson's Toys on March 7th in East Hampton. I'm going to a few different schools. So I have every intention of being seen and being out. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm so proud of you. And I'm super excited that I got to steal away time today um, with you. And um just, I wanted to also say something. So you have three children, you've been a mom for six years. So in, in a very short time, 
you had um, three babies come into this world who I think have had, um, you know, quite an effect on, on just our lives um, as a family. But I mean, they're, they are just wonders um, and, and they are vastly different from each other, which I also think is wildly cool. They are yeah. all remarkably different at ages <laughs> four, five, and six. Uh, most days I am barely standing. <laughs> Well, you do it. Well, thank you so much. I love you, Denise. And um, I'm super excited for you and your book. And I hope this, uh, this podcast is just the, the tip of the iceberg of what's going to be um, a, a very large success. And I have every confidence that it will be. So thank you. Thank you very much. Love you too. And take care. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.